Amen. And good morning. Try that again. Good morning. Let me uh, show our children something. All right, all of you girls and boys that accepted the pastor's challenge a few weeks ago, and if you didn't uh, get one, then I have a few more up here. But uh, girls, if you complete that three-part challenge, then you're going to get a pink adventure Bible. It's a really nice Bible, and we will have your name engraved on it down here at the bottom. And so... uh, it looks really nice. It's got all kinds of pictures and some uh, different things that you would enjoy, activities in there that you would enjoy. And guys, um, got you. And by the way, there's a pink, some flowers on the front for girls. Girls are sugar and spice and everything nice. Most of them. And boys are snakes and snails and puppy dog tails. So we got a lizard on here for you boys. Uh, And it's just the same Bible. It's got all kinds, again, pictures and activities and things. It's really nice. And we'll have your names imprinted on there. So I hope you're working on that pastor's challenge. Kids in the Word, pastor's challenge, where you're going to memorize 10 verses of Scripture. You will uh, learn the books of the Bible. And you'll read through the book of, I think it's Genesis. So, yes. So y'all still working on that, right? All you kids are working on that. Good. Well, I want to draw your attention uh, to the outline that's on the back of your bulletin if you're a note taker and uh, trying to keep you up to speed with where we are. We are going through the book of Romans on Sunday mornings under the title, The Gospel Changes Everything. We have looked at the power of the gospel as expressed in its truth, as expressed in its testimony, that is, the changed lives of of people. We've we've started a few weeks ago looking at the revelation of the gospel, that the gospel reveals God's righteousness, it reveals man's unrighteousness, and it reveals God's righteous judgment. And uh, the thesis we've been looking at under this title, The Gospel Changes Everything, is that the gospel, it will change everything, if we approach it right, if we trust the truth of the gospel and let the truth of the gospel change us. Because the gospel is not just facts to be believed. Because the devil believes the facts of the gospel, but is he going to be in heaven? Oh no. The gospel is more than just facts to be believed. It is a life to be lived. And once Jesus transforms your life, you've asked him to forgive your sin and save you. He changes you from the inside out. And he begins the process of sanctifying you and making you more and more like him. I want you to remember from uh, a couple of weeks ago, three principles related to God's righteous judgment. God is a God of love, but he's also a God of judgment. And God would not be God if he did not hold us accountable for our actions or for what we did with his revelation of himself. So three principles from Romans 1 and 2 is, first of all, there's no excuse Nobody can say, God, I didn't know. We learned that from Romans 1. Nobody will have an excuse. God, I didn't know enough. You didn't reveal enough of yourself. I think Romans 1 does away with that excuse. There is no escape. Romans uh, 2 
verse 3 says that we are inexcusable. And then Romans 2.11 reminds us that there's no partiality. God has no respecter of persons. So we're going to look at those last two uh, principles as they relate to Romans chapter 2 today. No escape. Doesn't matter. If you reject God's truth, you're not escaped God's judgment. Romans 1 was about those who outright rejected God's truth. These were the pagans, the total rejectors of God. But today we're going to talk about even if you agree with or approve God's truth, but you don't practice it, you'll not escape God's judgment. And there's no partiality. Nobody gets special treatment. You're not the exception to the rule. So I want us to read Romans 2, 1 through 15, and I'm going to ask us to find that in our Bibles, and I want us to stand, and we're going to read those first 15 verses of Romans chapter 2. We're going to honor God's word by standing. Romans 2, verse 1 through 15. Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are, who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. That sounds like the uh, old saying, if you point one finger, how many are pointing back at you? That's probably where that saying came from. Whoever you judge, whoever you are that judge, you're condemning yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things, and doing the same thing that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds, eternal life, to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. For as many as have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature, do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. Father, this is your word. Holy Spirit, you inspired it. And we come to it this morning and we need your help in understanding it. And Lord, not just to hear it, and not just to believe it, 
to do it. Lord, we're so guilty of being forgetful hearers. We're so guilty of hearing the word, but then not applying it to every situation of our lives. We forget you. And oh, what a terrible sin that is. We ask, Father, for grace this morning to understand, to believe, and to apply your word as you will us to do in Jesus' name. Amen. That first point there under God's righteous judgment is, it is according to truth. Now, we already talked about that. God's judgment is according to truth. That is, it's always right. But now, as we read Romans chapter 2, we see that God's righteous judgment is also according to deeds. To our deeds, to our actions. God said so, and also in Psalm 62, verse 12, he said that he renders to each one according to his works. And in Romans chapter 2, these 15 verses that we just read, Paul is talking about the Jew who was comfortable in his station as a Jew. I'm God's chosen. I can't be unchosen. Therefore, I can live however I want to. Romans chapter 1, we looked at a few weeks ago, verses 18 through 32, it appears that Paul was referring to the godless pagans of the world and those who outright rejected God and his truth. But Paul seems to turn his attention here in chapter 2 to another group of people, namely the Jews, but generally speaking, to all those who think that they're worthy of special treatment from God because of who they are. That because of who they are, they can live as they please and God won't judge them. God overlooks my sin because I'm a Jew. God overlooks my sin because I've been saved. God overlooks my sin because I go to church. God overlooks my sin because I'm a Baptist. God overlooks my sin because I'm a preacher. God overlooks my sin because I'm a deacon. God overlooks my sin because I'm a Sunday school teacher. God overlooks my sin because I read my Bible every day, and he overlooks my sin because I tithe and try to do right. That's who he's addressing in Romans chapter 2. One writer said this, men and women, all of us, are inclined to consider that God condones our ways. Paul addresses this sinful and prideful and desperately mistaken perspective in this chapter. Look at verses 1 through 3 again. He said, therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge, for whoever you judge, for whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you'll escape the judgment of God? So here's the Jew. He's looking back. He heard what Paul said in Romans 1. He said, yeah, those godless pagans deserve judgment. Now Paul says, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You're guilty of the same thing. You know what I've seen? And you know what I've read? That the sins in the world are in the church. We want to point the finger outward. It's time, folks, not to point the finger to the side and say, yeah, you're right, it's in the church. Look at old so-and-so over there. He's sitting over there like he's a perfect. She's got it all together. And they're still pointing the finger. They may be pointing the finger inside the church, but they're still pointing it the wrong direction, aren't they? Where should that finger be pointed? <laughs> right here. Right here. Jude addresses this in Jude 1, 15. 
14 and 15. It says, Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied that these men about these men, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints. Yeah, we just sang it. He's coming. Oh, glorious day. I wonder if it will be a glorious day for some folks. In fact, it won't be. The Bible says it will be a dreadful day for some. For he says he will come to execute judgment on all to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which, which they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. Notice verse 16, these are grumblers and complainers. I want you to do a study one day on grumbling and complaining. I keep hitting on that, or God keeps hitting on that. You know, he puts all that in, in context of all these other horrible sins, and we don't think gossip and grumbling and complaining are that big of a deal, but God thinks it's a very big deal. But here's what he says. He said, I'm coming. Yeah, I'm coming. But when I come, I'm going to be executing judgment on ungodly deeds. So in stark detail, by the Holy Spirit, Paul begins to reveal in this chapter this wrong-mindedness that I can live as I please and get away with it because I'm a Christian, because I've been saved, because I go to church. I want you to notice how what happened to the Jews we're often guilty of, how this, this wrong-mindedness was manifested. First of all, you see there in the outline, they despised others. Namely, the Jews despised the Gentiles. That is, anybody who wasn't a Jew. They felt superior to all others, for they had been given the oracles of God. I wonder if that's how we as Christians are. We look down our noses on everybody who's not a Christian, and we think we're better than they are. With all that Paul had written about the sinfulness and the degeneracy of the Gentiles, the Jews would fully agree. Yes, those are terrible people. They're dogs. They're outside the covenant of God. They're strangers to the commonwealth of Israel. They, they deserve what they get because they're enemies of God. But not us. No, we're the elect of Jehovah. We're the chosen ones to whom God has given his holy law. And he's favored us with abundant blessings. You see, what the Jew forgot and what often we forget is that holding correct doctrine does no good if right living is disregarded. If your doctrine doesn't motivate you to live in obedience then you have false doctrine. To the Jews, all others were blind, dark, foolish, immature, and ignorant. But see, what God does is he summons his proud, worldly, immature people, his own people, into his divine courtroom to be judged right alongside these despised Gentiles. That blew the mind of those Jews. No way. No way. They deserve it far more than we do. Listen to what Jesus said in the Gospels. Luke chapter 10, verse 13 to 15. He's talking to cities in Israel, the people of these cities. He says, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, Gentile cities, they, the Gentiles, would have repented a long time ago sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon, Gentiles, he said, at the judgment than for you. Those are harsh words. God, Jesus was speaking to the Jews, to his chosen people. Listen to chapter 11, verse 31 and 32. 
Jesus said, the queen of the south, that is the queen of Sheba, who came and, and heard the wisdom of Solomon. It said, she will rise up in judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. Who is that? Jesus. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment against this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. Jesus was teaching what Paul is trying to say is that judgment, as 1 Peter 4, 17 says, the time has come for judgment to begin in the house of God. It's time for us to examine ourselves as we did last week before the Lord's Supper and to see and to judge ourselves. Time has come. The very things that they condemned in the Gentiles, they were practicing themselves. You say, how is that? Well, you remember the Sermon on the Mount? You remember these words? Jesus said, Matthew 5, 21, You've heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be in the, shall be in danger of the judgment. That's right. Anybody that kills anybody needs to die themselves. Needs to, they're in danger of the judgment. But Jesus said, But I say to you, if you're angry with your brother, as if you're harboring bitterness and resentment against someone. doesn't matter if they're a Gentile or a Jew or a Christian or a Baptist or whatever they are. If you're harboring any bitterness and, unresentment and resentment and unforgiveness in your heart, he said, that's murder. That's murder. You said, but you don't know what they did to me. I told you this last week. No, I don't know what they did to you. God knows what they did to you. And he still said, forgive. And he even goes on to say in that, later in, that ch- in the next chapter, he said, if you don't forgive, don't bother asking God to forgive you. For he says, my Father in heaven will forgive you if you forgive those who've offended you. But if you don't forgive those who've offended you, then my Father in heaven will not forgive you. That's murder. And you refuse to forgive. That's how they were guilty of the same thing. Remember what he said in the same chapter, verse 27? You've heard it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. That's right. You're supposed to honor your marriage vows. Never supposed to cheat on your wife or your husband. Jesus said, I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her in his heart. How many adulterers we have in this congregation this morning? I think the reverse, I mean, the, not the reverse, but the same would be true for the opposite sex. I think a woman could also lust after a man. I wonder how many adulterers we have in the congregation this morning. A whole pile of them. Remember what he said in Verse 43, you've heard it was said you shall love your neighbor. Yeah, I like my neighbor. Those people like me, I like them. I like to be with them. Make me feel good. They love me, I love them. And hate your enemy. Yeah, those people don't like me, I don't like them either. They hate me. In fact, I'm going to hate them before they can hate me. Jesus said, but I say to you, love your enemy. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Hmm. So you see why the finger needs to be right here? Have you seen yet that you need to be judging yourself, that you're far more guilty than you thought you were? Romans 14.10, he says, why do you judge your brother? Why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. There's not a person in here that's going to escape the judgment. James 2.13, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. 
when in your dealings with other people and, and someone fails or disappoints you or, and, and you're critical and you're harsh towards them, that's what you can expect in the judgment on yourself. They despise others. We, we do too. You do too. And you won't escape. You will be called accountable for that, just as I will be. They despise, secondly, God's goodness. Look at verse 4 of Romans chapter 2, 4, 5, and 6. Do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent hearts, that's a person saying, I ain't guilty of that. I ain't got nothing to repent of. He says, you're treasuring up for yourself wrath and revelation and the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each according to his deeds. You know, God has given, God gave Israel great material and spiritual riches. They were a, a blessed nation and, and they still are. And they still are God's chosen people. But we are too who are sons and daughters of Abraham by faith. They're sons and daughters of Abraham by lineage. We are, as Romans says, we'll learn later, by faith. They were a privileged people. But look at chapter 9, verse 4 and 5. He says, these Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises, of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. So what Paul is saying is there, God had favored them and given them all these riches and spiritual blessings, the law, the covenants, the promise. Even the Savior came through the line of Christ. But what the Jews did not understand is that the greater the privilege, the greater the responsibility. My 16-year-old son just got his driver's license. And God blessed him with his own vehicle. And I said to him the other day, I said, son, don't forget, with greater privilege comes greater responsibility. Luke 12, 48, to whom much is given, much is required. Now just think of all God's given us. He saved us. He forgave us of our sin. He took it away. He's given us eternal life. The Bible says he has written our name in the Lamb's book of life. It's there forever. He's placed his Holy Spirit in every believer as the guarantee of that place called heaven. That Holy Spirit is our teacher. He leads us into all truth. He's given us the very word of God. He's given us a mind now that is not carnal and pagan, but now is spiritual, and we can understand spiritual things. He's given us brothers and sisters in Christ. He's given us so many spiritual things, as well as the physical blessings of this world and this life. And to whom much is given, believers, much more is required. In fact, you're, you and me are of a greater accountability than those who aren't saved is what he's saying. We're under greater accountability and responsibility than those who haven't seen the light yet. We often think that God's blessings must mean he approves of our behavior. 
we often think that the, the opposite as well, that when trouble comes, it's God's disapproval of our behavior. While both of those can be true, it's not always the case. We cannot assume either one of those is always the case. If we assume that God's goodness and blessing upon us means he approves of everything we do, everything we think, and everything we speak, then we can mistakenly think that our conduct and our attitude and our speech will not be called into account. I can say what I want to say. Whatever comes to my mind, I'm just going to say it. I'm a, I, I'm a man that speaks his mind. Well, you're a fool. That's what the Bible says. Only a fool speaks his whole mind. So I'm not saying anything the Bible didn't say. You, you say, I don't have to give account for what I think. Yes, you do. We must bring into captivity every thought, he says in the book of Corinthians, to the obedience of Christ. I don't have to give a response, accountability to what I look at. Oh, yes, you do. Don't let your eyes look to the left or to the right. You don't have to give responsibility to what I watch, what I listen to, how I act. Yes, you do. All of us will. And we think we can get away with it because we're Christians. But I wonder if we're not mistaken. I know we are in that aspect because what we've done is we despise God's goodness. We've taken all of his blessings and we live like we want to. We talk like we want to. We watch what we want to watch. We listen to what we want to listen to. We act like we want to act. We treat people the way we want to treat people, the way we think they deserve to be treated. And yet we call ourselves followers of Christ. Let me ask you, is that what Christ would do? Or did he do the will of the Father? Verse 4, Paul makes a surprising statement here. He says, do you not know that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? The goodness of God leads you to repentance. I think and you think just the opposite. The judgment of God leads to repentance. How many times have you said when something bad happens to somebody, well, maybe this will wake them up. But Paul says, even though God, that the goodness of God leads to repentance, and even though God had been so good to the Jews, they still had a hard and unrepentant heart. I wonder if that's God's people today. I've been so good to you, but you still are stubborn and rebellious. You don't learn from my word when you read it. You hear it and you go your separate ways and never stop to consider how does that apply Monday morning? Monday afternoon, Tuesday morning, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. How does that apply to my life? How am I supposed to plug that in? And Holy Spirit, help me to plug that into how I live. Instead, we just keep going our merry way and we think, hey, we're special and privileged because we got to hear the Bible taught. We got to read the Bible. We have it. We have more than one of these in our homes, in our offices. We're privileged, but we despise the goodness, he says. We despise the riches of his goodness and his forbearance. And we forget that it's God's goodness that's motivating us, should be motivating us to live righteously. He says when we live like this, we're treasuring up for ourselves wrath and revelation. Wrath in the day of wrath and in the day of revelation of the righteous judgment of God. If you remember from Romans chapter 1 verse 18, he says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. Yeah, those ungodly sinners, they deserve it. But here Paul says, God's special people. Namely, at that point, it was the Jews. Today, it's the church of Jesus Christ, as well as the Jews. They're treasuring up for themselves wrath. 
you don't think that's so? I'm sure you do. I hope you believe it. But let me confirm that again with another part of God's word that you know very well. Jesus wrote a letter to seven churches. And out of those seven churches, only two did he have nothing negative to say. So I want to read some of those words to help you understand what he was saying to the churches that unless if they went on in their works that they wanted to do and if they didn't repent, here's listen to see what Jesus said would happen. He said, I I know he said to the church at Ephesus, I know your works. And I know you persevered. And I know you labored. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You left your first love. You don't love me with all your heart. He said, remember from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first work or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. You also, he says, there have the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I hate. He says, verse 13, to the church at Pergamos, I know your works. He said, but I have a few things against you. You have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel. I wonder how many believers here are being a stumbling block to people who are not saved or even to others of God's people. He said, and they eat things sacrificed to idols and they commit sexual immorality. They commit sexual immorality. See, that's one of the sins that's in the church. Sexual immorality in all kinds of forms. See some of your lives, and it ought not be. And you think you're getting away with it because nobody knows. God knows. God sees. He's going to call you to account one day. He's talking to the church here. He said, repent or else I'll come to you quickly, and I will fight against you with the sword of my mouth. He says in verse 18 to the church of Thyatira, he said, I know your works but I have a few things against you. You allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality. He said, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. Deeds. God's judging according to deeds. I will kill her children with death and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. Chapter 3 church of Sardis he said I know your works you have a name that you're alive but you're dead he said you have a reputation that you're alive he said I look at you and I see death in other words you fooled those around you but you don't fool me he said in chapter 14 I mean chapter 3 verse 14 of the church of Laodicea he said I know your works you're neither cold nor hot I wish you were cold or hot, but because you're lukewarm, straddling both sides of the fence, so to speak, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. He said, you said I was, because you say I am rich, I've become wealthy, I don't need anything, but you don't know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. He said, as many as I love, I rebuke, therefore be zealous and repent. And here comes that famous verse that we use to talk to lost people, but it's not written to lost people. It's written to the church of Jesus Christ. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Why would Jesus be on the outside of the church knocking? 
wanting to come in because there are people in the church who have kicked them out of their lives. They don't want in there telling them what's right and wrong. They don't want Jesus leading them, teaching them, helping them to live righteous and holy. They want to do their own thing, and they think they're saved and going to heaven. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice this morning, he says, and if you'll open your door, he said, I'll come back in. And I'll fellowship with you and you with me. They despise God's goodness. God's been so good to us. They won't escape. They've approved God's law. The Jews approved it. We approve God's law, God's word, but we don't always practice it like we should. And lastly, they despise. If y'all would just give me, I want to finish this. If y'all, if you need to go, you can you can go. But I need to finish this. They despise God's law. You know, when we read that section about verse 7, eternal life will be to those who by patient continuance do good. But to those who are self-seeking and don't obey the truth, they store up for themselves indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish. But to those, you know, who, who work what is good, verse 10, glory and honor and peace. Don't mistake this section. Paul's not talking about salvation. That's not the context of this chapter. He's not saying that you're saved by doing good. He's not indicating that people are saved by doing good and damned by doing bad. He's talking about people who thought they could get away with sin because of who they were. Paul confronts that thinking with the truth that God is no respecter of persons. He will judge them according to their deeds, whether they have the law or don't have the law. That's what he says in verses 12 through 15. The Gentiles are going to be judged apart from the law because they had a law written in their heart, their conscience. He said, you Jews are going to be judged by the law because I gave you the law. Nobody's going to escape judgment. Peter confirmed this truth in Acts chapter 10 when he met Cornelius, who was a Gentile, and God was sending Peter to the Gentiles. And Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. This section in Romans 2 also addresses the consistent action of a person's life, the total impact of his character and his conduct. For example, David, we know something about King David. We know David committed adultery, don't we? Was he an adulterer? You said, yes, it takes one sin to be a sinner. That's right. But by his lifestyle, was he an adulterer? He also committed murder. He had Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, murdered or put on the front line so he'd be killed. So by all practicality, we could say David was uh, guilty of adultery and murder. But the total impact of his life and his conduct those were one-time events. We hope that would never happen, but it happens in fallen humanity. But the, but the total impact of his character and his conduct was he was a man after God's own heart. See, Peter, Paul is not talking about perfection. He's talk, talking about direction. What is the direction of your life? True saving faith results in obedience and godly living, even though there may be occasional falls. That person that's walking with God wants God to lead them, is seeking God. When God measured the deeds of the Jews, he found them to be as wicked as those of the Gentiles. The fact that the Jews occasionally celebrated a feast or they offered some sacrifices or regularly honored the Sabbath did not change the fact that their consistent daily life was one of disobedience to God. Translate that into everyday Christianity today. I go to church. I do these certain things. 
And you think, well, that excuses me because I can check it off the list. I did my spiritual duty for the week. I went to church. I heard a preacher preach. I heard a Sunday school lesson. Check. And then you just keep right on going the way you always have. There's no partiality with God, verse 11 says. And that statement would have shocked the Jew because he thought he deserved special treatment because he was God's chosen people. But Paul explained that having the Jewish law only made the guilt of Israel that much greater. You see, to know the law and to fail to obey it only increases the condemnation. To praise virtue while practicing vice may deceive your friends, but it doesn't deceive the great almighty judge. You may ask this, aren't our sins forgiven? And once forgiven, aren't they forgotten? But you're telling me that God's going to call me into account. I'm going to be judged. I want to say this up front and then something else to go with that. First of all, I refer to Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, where God's ways are not our ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are God's ways higher than my ways. Yes, Jesus Christ died and shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. How those sins that are forgiven and those, the Bible says, I will give account of every idle word and other things it says I'll give account for. How will I give account for that and I'm forgiven at the same time? That's one of those divine mysteries. But friend, if you think your forgiveness excuses your behavior, you are sadly mistaken. You see, the gospel is not facts to be believed. It is a life to be lived. Divine forgiveness is not divine permission. True followers of Christ will not be judged as to their eternal destiny by their works, good or bad. But they will give an account before Christ as to how we live the good or bad deeds, and we will be rewarded accordingly. Please understand. Please ask the Holy Spirit to teach you from this lesson today. And that it would motivate you. Remember this verse, the goodness of God leads you to repentance. What if, and I don't know this, but what if God says, and it's going to happen to the godless one day, but what if God said, after all this I've given them, and it hasn't led them to repentance yet, I think then I shall remove it from them. What if you don't respond to God's goodness? And repent and judge yourself first and harshly. Get the beam out of your own eye. Why? Because of God's goodness. Deal with yourself. We're coming up next Sunday. Starts our Life Action Thirst Conference. They're going to be here Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, and Wednesday night. It's another time of extended set-apart time where we are going to be called to examine ourselves and, and ask ourselves as the people of God, are we where we ought to be, all ought to be? Do we love the Lord as we ought to love Him? Are we following Him like we ought to follow Him? Or are we 
having our eyes on all these other little things that really don't amount to a hill of beans. It's time for judgment to begin in the house of God. And the Bible says, he that judges himself will not be judged. That is, by others. Start here. In this time of invitation response, I want you to start there. Look inward. Look at your daily activities. Are you allowing God's word to mold you and shape you? The things that you hear and that you read in the Bible, are you just checking them off and saying, yeah, I agree with that, but you're never plugging them in to how you live? Examine yourself again this morning. Let God's word, let his spirit teach you and lead you. Let's pray.